On this episode of the Ball Talk Pod with Evan Kincer, the University of Kentucky's all-time leading scorer and ABA champion with the Kentucky Colonels, Dan Essel, joined the show to talk about his goal to bring the NBA back to Kentucky and his more than 40 years in pro basketball. This is the Ball Talk Pod Evan Kincer, starting... Welcome and thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Ball Talk Pod. As always, this is your host, Evan Kinzer, and today I'm joined by the University of Kentucky's all-time leading scorer and ABA champion with the Kentucky Colonels, Dan Essel. Dan, thank you for joining me. You're welcome, Evan. Thank you. Dan's resume includes more than just that. He is a member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. He is a former NBA and ABA All-Star. His number 44 jersey retired by the Nuggets, and he also scored more points than anyone else but his teammate Alex English in their career for the Denver Nuggets. We'll get to your playing career later on, Dan, but first, let's start out with your current role with NBA Toulouse as president. I was lucky enough to attend the Young Professionals Association of Louisville event just a few weeks ago where you spoke about your goal of maybe bringing an NBA team back to Louisville, and this is something that I'm very interested in, Dan, and... I know a lot of my viewers are also interested in that. Could you share a little bit about that and also what it means to you to make this eventually happen? Yeah, it, uh, you know, of course, uh, the, the uh, I, there have been efforts to bring a professional basketball back to Louisville ever since the Colonels uh, chose not to be included in the merger uh, with the ABA and the NBA years and years ago. And, uh, you know, we, we are working, a, a group here in Louisville hired me to do some consulting work, trying to get an NBA team to Louisville. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a long shot. Uh, the, uh, the NBA has not said yet that they are even going to expand domestically. Uh, and it's uh, very difficult. The NBA doesn't like any of their franchises moving around, so it's difficult. What what we're doing is uh, making sure that we have everything in place should the opportunity to bring an expansion or a current NBA team to Louisville. We're trying to grow the grassroots support, which is why we're talking to, uh, to YPAL, the organization that uh, you and I met at, and uh, just about any place who wants to talk uh, about the NBA, we're willing to willing to show up. Uh, but uh, growing the grassroots support uh, for an NBA team in Louisville, and there's a lot of myths out there that uh, we have to dispel. Uh, I, I think the, the 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 primary one is that uh, you know the NBA tickets are too expensive and nobody can afford them. Uh, and, and as I said, uh, when you and I met, I mean, uh, you know, if you want to sit in the front row or you want to sit in a, in a box, uh, those tickets are expensive. They do cost a lot of money. But our financial model is based on an average ticket price of $46. So uh, it, it certainly isn't the, out of the, the realm of, of people being able to come and, and watch uh, the NBA uh, both the, the the home team and the, the great visiting teams that would be coming would be coming in here. Uh, you know, another myth I think is that uh, somehow a professional team here would hurt the University of Louisville or the University of Kentucky or any other university here in the Commonwealth. And we have reams of data that shows that you know uh, 
the community, the state, could support uh, an NBA team without hurting the college teams at all. So, um, and and for the reason that I'm doing it is, you know, I I remember the great years we had here with the Kentucky Colonels, as you already said, uh, winning an NBA or excuse me, an ABA championship. Uh, with Artis Gilmore and Louis Dampier and our coach Hubie Brown, all who are now in the Naismith Hall of Fame. It was very special. I, I run into people all the time who tell me, you know, my dad and I used to go out to the, to the fairgrounds and watch you all play and how special it was. And, uh, I, I just like the, the community to, uh, to be able to experience that again. Yeah, and I I wasn't alive during that time, so I would definitely love to see that as well. Um, and a little bit on the ticket prices, you know, uh, I've went to a few Indiana Pacers games, and you can when you're ordering tickets, you can look and get like packages. They'll do deals where you can get like five games for like a hundred or twenty dollars. So it's it's not that bad with the ticket prices if you just can plan it around it and just see the teams. Uh, you won't get to see like the Lakers or the Celtics, but. You can definitely see a few games with the Colonels if you look at the right prices. Um, something that I've really I've noticed whenever I heard about the NBA Tulu uh, program was, you know, everybody's talking about how Seattle and Las Vegas could get a team, but with if you make if you think about it, you have to have those Western Conference teams and you have to have an Eastern Conference team. So I mean, if you look at the list of teams in the Eastern Conference that could maybe get a team. Um, you're looking at Louisville, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, and maybe even Baltimore. But there's been like a shortage with uh, Eastern Conference teams. You know, New Orleans has been in the Western Conference, um, and then even Memphis. With M- Memphis, definitely isn't in the West, and then they're in the Western Conference as well. So, I think they would definitely be looking at um, adding a team to the Eastern Conference, and maybe you can add that or um, change that around a little bit. But I think that for the reasons of Seattle and Las Vegas, it makes uh, Shaw at Louisville as an expansion team a whole lot um, more likelier. Yeah, and, uh, you know, of course we know if if the NBA were to expand, there would be great competition for those teams. Uh, You know, these these cities uh, realize how important professional athletics is to a community. And, it, and it's not just for the sports fans. I mean, it's, it's for everybody. The, the, the city just raises several levels uh, in, in everybody's uh, estimation when, when you have a professional sports team. And Louisville's such a great place, and Kentucky's such a great state. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the Bourbon Trail and, and the new convention or remodeled convention center in Louisville, the new hotels, uh, there, there's just a lot going on here, and so that would be good. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I hear people speculating all the time on where the teams would go and what cities are interested, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you have to start out with the passion because no matter where an expansion team would go, Evan, there would be great support the first couple of years. Uh, what you have to worry about is after the newness wears off, are there basketball fans in that area that are still going to be supportive, even if you don't have a championship-caliber team? And given the passion and the love for basketball that Kentuckians have, I still think we can make an awful compelling argument uh, that the NBA needs to have a team in Louisville. Yeah, and I think that even the states around Kentucky would definitely um, be interested in that. You could come right over the right over the river from Indiana 
and be interested in that. And people from Ohio would be interested in, that in the southern Ohio because Cleveland's up a little up north, so you get that Cincinnati area uh, interested in this as well. Um, and you talked about being in the Hall of Fame. Um, you were, did you ask many players, uh, your former colleagues uh, at the Hall of Fame, what they thought about maybe the NBA coming to Louisville? You know the the people that uh, that I know well that I see all the time, um, Louis Dampier, Artis Gilmore, uh, uh, Julia Serving. Uh, they're they're all well aware of our efforts to come here. What what I was really uh, uh, happy about while I was in Springfield uh, for four days last week was how many of the NBA people knew about our efforts. I had people. Uh, that work in the NBA office. I had people that work for other NBA teams. Uh, uh, numerous people asking me how our efforts were going here in Louisville. So that that's part of my job is to get the word out there to let these people know that we are interested in uh, in having an NBA team here. And uh, uh, a, a lot of people, without me bringing it up, a lot of people up in Springfield knew about our efforts. That's awesome. Um, when you were in Springfield, you saw some of your uh, former opponents like Sidney Moncrief, Paul Westfall, Jack Sigma, and even your former teammate Bobby Jones being added to the great list of basketball's finest. Uh, what are your thoughts on these players finally getting inducted, and what is the feeling like, as you know, to be inducted? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you, you know, ba- basketball's a team sport, and so uh, you know, winning championships and, and playing on winning teams is, is more important than any uh, individual honors. But ha- having said that, being in that select group, uh, going into uh, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and a lot of people make the mistake of calling it the NBA Hall of Fame. There is no such thing as the NBA Hall of Fame. I mean, uh, you know, Adolph Rupp and Bobby Knight, are in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and they they didn't have a thing to do with the NBA, yeah. and there are a lot of people like that. But it's such exclusive company, and I was so happy, especially for Bobby. Uh, Bobby Jones and I played for, together for a number of years in Denver, and then he was traded to the 76ers, and we played against each other for several years. But Bobby and, and his wife, Tess, are just first-class people, and it, mean, it meant so much to them uh, and and I don't know if it meant as much to Bobby as it did, you know, his kids that were there and and uh, and his family and and so to see guys finally recognized uh, in, in that is is uh, is quite special. Uh, a couple of years ago, Evan, I took uh, two of my grandchildren to the NBA Hall of Fame. My grandson was playing in a baseball tournament in Cooperstown, and we drove over to the Hall of Fame and. Uh, one of the one of the people that worked there was nice enough to give us a, our own little private tour, and she started out by telling my grandson and granddaughter. She said, "We have estimated that since the game of basketball began, there have been over two hundred million people that have played, coached, or refereed in the game of the game of basketball." And of course, those numbers include anybody who you know, ever played a game in, in seventh grade. But uh, uh, she said 200 million people have, have been involved in this game, and there are 400 in the Hall of Fame. So that just tells you 
how special it is. Yeah, it's definitely an elite company. Um, anyway, let's transition over to your time with the Colonels. Uh, that time was definitely special um, for yourself and also for the state of Kentucky. You mentioned a little bit earlier about who you played with. You played with the legends like Artis Gilmore, fellow great Wildcat Louis Dampier, Cincy Powell, and you were also coached by Hubie Brown, who is actually still commentating games for ESPN while he is in his mid-80s. Um, can you talk a little bit about how special it was with that group of guys? Yeah, well, the thing that was special was that uh, uh, we we were all dedicated to winning. We uh, we had to make some sacrifices, uh, maybe not getting as many shots as we had earlier, and maybe playing a little harder defensively. But uh, uh, that 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 group really came together and played for one another, and and that's why. Uh, you know, a lot of them are still my very good friends to to this day, years and years later. Uh, I, we had a very special team here. Uh, we probably should have won more than one championship, um, but uh, we won that that ABA championship in in 1975, and uh, you know that's that's still a very a very special memory because I said earlier that's what the game of basketball is about is is winning. And and we won uh, we won an awful lot, but uh, you know we would go as a team after the game. We would all go to the same restaurant for you know to a- after the game, or we'd have a party at somebody's house and everybody would come over. I mean, you don't see that anymore in, in any professional sport. I mean, guys just disperse with their their friends and their entourages and. And don't spend a lot of time together off the off the floor or off the field. And uh, we we were together all the time. It was a group that really enjoyed being with one another, not just playing with one another. So it, it was a it was a very special time. And and you know, of course, winning that championship uh, kind of uh, will keep us in the memory of Kentucky fans for a long time. And you talked about how you guys were so close. I was watching the jump on ESPN a few days ago when uh, Scotty Pippen and Dennis Rodman were together, and they said that they weren't even really close together. So you can even see in the late 90s that it wasn't that teams weren't even very close together. Um, and when I was getting ready for this show, I was reading about all uh, the entire time with the Kentucky Colonels. I knew a little bit about it, but I wasn't didn't know a whole lot, and I didn't realize how good you guys actually were. I knew about the 75 championship, but I didn't. I never knew about the winning 68 games in 1971, and uh, the games against um, the Bucks and the um, the Bullets. I mean, that's just crazy. And I wish more people knew about those cool memories. I mean, it, you, people in um, in this Louisville playing against um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Bucks, uh, NBA champions. I mean. And it's crazy, you know. Wes Unseld was really big. He uh, played for Louisville, so I didn't realize right. all that. Well, it uh, in in nineteen seventy five when we won the ABA championship, the Golden State Warriors won the NBA championship. And I tell people, uh, and I, I think I can do this without much bias. In nineteen seventy five, the Kentucky Colonels were not the best team in the ABA. In 1975, the Kentucky Colonels were the best team in professional basketball, and and that's that's really what finally brought the merger about. 
and that was the ABA was getting, because at that time, uh, the NBA still had a rule that you couldn't be drafted till your high school class graduated from college. Now, you didn't have to go to college, but you had to wait until your college class graduated before you could be drafted. And the ABA had no such rule, and we were getting great young players uh, coming out of college early, like uh, Spencer Haywood and Julius Irving and, and George McGinnis and George Gerben, all players that are in the Hall of Fame. And, and that, was, uh, that was enabling the ABA to be competitive with the NBA, and that's what eventually brought the, brought the merger talks to a head. So in 1975, the Colonels won the ABA championship, and you all defeated the Pacers 4-1 to in the finals. I mean, that's like how the Golden State Warriors are. They're, you don't win many games. So um, so do you think if you did, how do you think that would go in hypothetical with the Warriors, with Rick Barry in that group? Well, I – I, I, John Y. Brown, who you know started uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and uh, and was uh, governor of the state for a while, he was our owner at the time, and he offered the owner of the Golden State Warriors uh, to each put up a million dollars, and we would play a series, and the winning owner would would take all, and of course. Uh, you know, we had everything to gain and nothing to lose, and Golden State turned us down. But uh, they had uh, Clifford Ray at center. Uh, they had Rick Barry at forward. Uh, they had Jamal Wilkes, and I'm trying to think of who their guards were. Uh, but uh, just the matching up on paper, man for man, we were a much better basketball team. And then... After you won the title with the Colonels, you were traded to the Baltimore Claws, which split before the season even <laughs> began. So uh, what was behind that decision? I mean, you just win the title, and you're at the, the peak of the ABA. Why did they do that? Well, uh, John Y. tried to always run the, run the team as a business, uh, not as a hobby, and wasn't interested in losing money. And so – uh, uh, that's why he chose not to take the Colonels into, into the NBA because of the deal that was hammered out. And it was very expensive for the ABA teams to go into the NBA. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Nuggets and the Spurs and the Pacers and the Nets all thought it would be worth it and paid the price. And, and John chose not to. But uh, the reason... Uh, was that I wasn't traded, I was sold. John was, John was uh, still interested in making money, uh, and so you know his assets uh, were Artist Louie and I, and, uh, and so I wound up being sold to the Baltimore Claws, uh, which was uh, a funny story because we were in Baltimore for about 10 days, and uh, they, never, uh, they never paid the money now. I've heard the figure was three hundred fifty thousand or or, or five hundred thousand that John Y was supposed to get from the uh, owners of the clause, and but uh, they never paid the money in ten days. Uh, and so, uh, thank goodness the the Nuggets were looking for a center, and uh, and uh, John Y called Carl Shear, and they they hammered out a deal, and so. Uh, I went from the claws to the nuggets, uh, and again, it was a cash transaction, but 
in each case, somebody had to come back to the other team to make it look good. And so, uh, but, uh, but that's how I ended up in Denver. And of course it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because, uh, a year later, there was no Kentucky Colonels. There was no uh, ABA, and I was in a in a great spot playing for the Nuggets. Yeah, and then in your first season with the Nuggets, you actually made it to the finals, final ABA finals, um, but you were defeated by Dr. J and the New York Nets, and then obviously you go over to the NBA, um, and then nine seasons with the Nuggets, you average 20 points six times, uh, and then you made your – trip to the all-star game in your first year so it was definitely a successful turn for you um you had some great teammates along the way you had alex english and you had a great coach and doug mo uh with very high scoring offense um but i want to talk about the the high scoring game in nba history i saw you tweeted something about this the other day and it just crazy i mean the two teams uh you the nuggets and the pistons you combined for 370 points that's crazy. And then the the Pistons won the game by two points. But share a little bit about that night and how memorable that was. I know it was a loss, but still. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that, at the time, it, it was a triple overtime game. And uh, at, at the time, it, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a hard loss to swallow. The amazing thing about that game, Evan, is if you go back and look at the box scores, there weren't that many three-pointers. Yeah. You would think in, in the highest-scoring game in, in NBA history, there'd be a lot of three-point shots, but uh, uh, there, there, there weren't that many. It was just an up-and-down game, and uh, Kiki uh, Vanderway and, and uh, Alex English and I were talking we were all at the same table up in uh, Springfield last week, and we were talking about that. If the three of us combined for about 90 points, uh, we had a pretty good chance of winning. So uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of defense. Was, uh, and, uh, of, and, uh, we blew game. It's uh, today the highest in NBA history. And so um, just – you had some great playoff runs with the Nuggets, but you were never able to get over the top and get into the NBA Finals. Um, what, talk about the year you feel like you were closest uh, to being in the top. Yeah, I, I think uh, the the uh, last year of my career, we got to the West Conference Finals against the Lakers, but uh, we didn't have much, much of a chance there. The Lakers... Uh, Showtime with Magic and Kareem and uh, Worthy and and Cooper and uh, and they were they were a great great basketball team. So we got to the Western Conference Finals, but lost that series uh, four games to one. I think the closest was the year that we got to the Western Conference Finals and uh, and lost to um, Portland, Bill Walton and uh, Clyde Drexler and that and that team. Uh, we we had a really good team that year, but uh, we got in the playoffs and and had a few injuries uh, that that really hurt us. So um, I I think uh, again I was very fortunate in uh, I, from the seventh grade through fifteen years of uh, of professional basketball 
25 years, uh, I only played on one losing team. And so I was very fortunate that I had some great teammates and great coaches along the way and, uh, and, and came out on the winning end more, more often than not. Yeah. And after you retired, uh, you became a commentator for UK and then the Nuggets. And you were so impressive as a commentator that general manager Bernie Bickerstaff made you the head coach for the 1992 and 93 season uh, for the Nuggets, even though you had no coaching experience. Uh, and then you, um, the first years you had like a 12 game improvement. And then the next year, um, you, the eight seed, and you're able to defeat the Seattle Supersonics, uh, the first eight seed to ever defeat a one seed. Um, what was that like, the coaching experience? <laughs> it was. It was crazy because, uh, as you said, uh, I had never coached at any level. I mean, not junior high, not high school, any level. And then to be uh, selected by by Bernie to be the coach, uh, and it was a marvelous opportunity and a marvelous uh, uh, chance because we had had, the Nuggets had had the worst record uh, in the NBA, the two previous years but we had some really talented young kids who were willing to work hard and and wanted to win of course the the mainstay was uh, uh Dikembe Mutombo in the middle but we had Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf who was uh formerly Chris Jackson from uh, LSU uh Lafonso Ellis from Notre Dame Brian Stith from jo- from uh, Virginia and Reggie Williams from Georgetown really a a talented group of basketball players and, and they worked hard and they got better. And, uh, you know, that was a, a real highlight. The Seattle supersonics had the best record in the NBA that year. And we were able to, the first round was a five game series. We were able to defeat them in the, in the fifth game in Seattle to, uh, to win that series. And then the next series we played, uh, the Utah Jazz with the Stockton, Malone, and Hornacek. And we were down 0-3 in that series and won the next three games to force it to uh, seven games. And uh, no team, to this day, no team in the NBA has come back from being down 0-3. So we almost pulled off another shocker. But uh, that was a very rewarding experience uh, to work with those young young men and uh, and and see the the franchise kind of turn around a little bit. And I think if you ever, if my listeners ever uh, watch the Harbor Classics on uh, NBA TV, you'll see that the video of the King Bay Matumbo holding the ball in the air, laying on the ground after defeating the SuperSonics. I think that's just a great basketball moment, and that story is just incredible. Um, you know, I mean, the New York Knicks did it, did it later and made it to the finals, but the way you all fell into the hole, and in the first round, you were down 0-2 and then came back to win the series. Uh, that's impressive as well. So, I mean, this is just a really awesome story. Um, and then we'll transition over to my favorite part. Um, you know, I'm a big U.K. fan, so I saved the best for the last. Um, and as um, most, of, cause most of my viewers are U.K. fans, so this will be very interesting for them as well as me. Uh, your U.K.'s all-time leading scorer, 
and you did so in just three seasons, and I truly doubt that anyone ever come close to your record again because of the way that college basketball is run today with the one and done. And, you know, that's especially uh, true at a school like UK. The only players that really stay at UK are the ones that are ranked in the top 100. Um, but, I mean, so I think your record will definitely stay pat. Um, but you were coached by legendary coach Adolph Rupp um, from, for three years, and then you made the Elite Eight twice and Sweet 16 once. Um, in your senior year, I think that it's really impressive that you only lost two games out of the 28. Um, why did you think that in your senior year your team couldn't get over the hump? You're the number one team in the country, only lost two games. Why do you think that you couldn't finish the season as a champion? Yeah, well, uh, that that is the easiest question you've asked me uh, uh, this whole this whole time. We had a great uh, guard from Shelby County by the name of Mike Casey, and uh, Case was uh, an outstanding. He was he was Larry Bird before Larry Bird. He had such court presence and knew knew how to play the game and. Wasn't that fast. He couldn't jump very high, but uh, he he got things done. And before our the summer before our senior year, Mike had a an automobile accident and had a compound fracture of his left leg, and and missed uh, our entire senior senior year. And uh, Mike Pratt and I have talked all the time that if we'd had a healthy Mike Casey our senior year. Uh, I don't. I can't guarantee we would have won the championship, but we would have gotten a whole lot closer than we did. Yeah, and Mike Pratt was also a really good player. That uh, your senior year, he averaged 19 points a game. So, if you would have had uh, Casey, I think that you definitely could have. Because that would just be a great trio. Um, what, do you have any special stories that you'd like to share? I like to uh, ask all my former NBA players if they have any. Um, stories like their favorite basketball story. Do you have one of those you can share with us? Well, I, I think uh, the you you mentioned that I was uh, the all-time leading scorer in Kentucky men's basketball history, and I, I'm quite shocked that that, that record still stands. But uh, uh, like you say, given the one and dones today, it might it might stand for a while. But uh, I, I remember very vividly uh, playing my senior year a game at Ole Miss. And uh, in in that game, I broke uh, Cliff Hagan's single-game record. I scored 53 points, and Cliff's record was 51. And, of course, Jody Meeks has uh, since eclipsed that record. Uh, but um, I also, in that game, set the 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 career scoring record which was held by uh, Cotton Nash mm. and uh, the reason that it was so special is both my wife uh, and my father uh, who would go on a few road trips every year were both at that game and had a chance to uh, to see that game in person so uh, that's probably my uh, that's definitely my favorite story from UK, probably my favorite basketball story ever. Well, that's awesome. Um, you also had a couple other 50-point games. I'm pretty sure you had 51 twice. So you definitely put up uh, pretty big numbers, Dan. Uh, well, Dan, it's been an absolute pr- pleasure to speak with you today. I've always uh, – my uncle, we'd always talk about how uh, he always loved watching you play. So it's been really awesome to be able to speak with you because I'm a, I'm a big fan. So – 
Um, and I'd absolutely love to have you back on sometime. And anytime, Evan. I'm, I'd be glad to do it. Talking about basketball is my favorite thing. Thank you for listening. Check out all my shows on balltalkpod.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and all social media outlets.